Our New Testament lesson is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. These are kind of assorted sayings of Jesus um, that are gathered together here. So listen to the word of God. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, as he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, and on their way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Most of us, during the summer, take some kind of road trip. You know, we think of summer as a time to travel. I took a little one this past week, went on a kind of a mini retreat. And I was driving across uh, Pennsylvania and into Ohio, and it brought back all kinds of memories. I used to take uh, high school kids all over America to camps. I, you know, I, if I sat down and figured, I probably have taken over 1,000 kids somewhere in this country. I used to take bus trips of kids to camps in Colorado, North Carolina, uh, lots of different places. Took a group to Arizona one time. So I spent a lot of time in in buses with high school kids. And I've only ever lost two people. Now, some of you, uh, if you've ever with your family in a car, right, you know, particularly if you're driving at night, my biggest fear is you're going to leave one of your kids, okay? So, and I've never done that. But I lost a leader one time. Now, I don't really take responsibility for that, okay? Because you're an adult leader, it's your responsibility to be on the bus, okay? We were up, we were at a ski, we were at a ski resort in New Mexico, and he got left on top of the mountain, all right? All right, so that's on him, all right? So I don't feel too bad about that, and he, you know, he chased the bus and fell in the snow, but he hitchhiked, it was all good. All right, so he, we still we brought him. Okay, but the <laughs> the only time I ever lost a kid, and I'm not. This wasn't fully my responsibility, but you know, you, it may not be your fault. But when you're in charge, it's your responsibility. All right, so it wasn't my fault; but it was my responsibility. Um, I was working with a church. We had two vans, two 15 pastor vans of kids. We just uh, took them to Wildwood for the weekend. Okay, and you know, the kids. I you tell the kids, okay, be in the same van that you were supposed to be in. All right, so. We, you know, we're at the boardwalk, it's late, we're getting ready to go back. I look at my van, I say, where's such and such? And they go, he's in the other van. Okay, now, 
My first mistake was trusting high school people in Wildwood at 12 o'clock at night, all right? We get back to the hotel. We left, one, we left them back at Wildwood. Now, of course, what bad can happen to somebody at Wildwood at midnight, right? <laughs> Lots of things, okay. So we got back, we found him. He was fine, he was just in an arcade. He did, I don't even know if he realized we left him. All right, okay, all right. But there's something good about changing your routine, seeing different things than you see every day, even if you go back to the same place. Changing is good, there's an opportunity for us to think, to reflect, even if it's just a driving time, right? Uh, it's an opportunity for us to, to kind of do some, not only looking around, but also looking inward. You know, the journey is at the heart of most of great literature, and, and a lot of not so great literature as well, right? From the Odyssey to the Divine Comedy, to arguably the two greatest American novels ever written, Moby Dick and Huckleberry Finn, there's a journey at the heart of all those stories. Some people say actually every bit of literature is just a, uh, some different version of Homer's Odyssey and Iliad. That may or may not be true. But at the heart there's a journey. And of course the journey is not always about where you're going. It's also what's going on inside of you. You know, today's Old Testament lesson is a journey, right? It's the final journey of Elijah with Elisha. And... Um, if you don't know the geography, it's not a little walk that they go on. The good news, it's all downhill, okay? From Jerusalem to Jericho, down to, or from Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan, is all downhill, but it's not an easy walk. And yet there's this journey. It's Elijah's journey to God is Elisha's journey to his new vocation. And journey is a metaphor for our spiritual lives. And, and the metaphor is based on literal journeys in both the Old and New Testament. The heart of the Old Testament is the exodus, the passing through the wilderness, the coming to the promised land. And really at the heart of the New Testament is Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem. Matter of fact, that one phrase, next time you're reading either Mark, of course, Matthew and Luke are based on Mark. So it's particularly prominent in Mark. But this idea of Jesus being on the road on the road. That's a constant, uh, repetitive phrase in Mark's gospel because it's reminding us something. It's telling us something that Jesus had a destiny, and we have a destiny as well. Now, there's some pretty direct talk from Jesus. Um, I have a sermon periodically I, I preach called "Scary Jesus." Okay, and I, I look at some of the, the the more harsh things he says. It's always funny to me. People say, you know, you know. I don't really care about the Bible, but Jesus is, you know, Jesus is awesome. And I think Jesus is awesome. Uh, and Jesus was so nice, and he was always so friendly. And, and I said, you really haven't read the Bible, have you? <laughs> right? <laughs> because Jesus spoke the truth. And sometimes the truth is a hard thing, right? Being a good parent, or being a good boss, or being a good leader... I mean, sometimes you have to speak a hard thing that the people you're speaking to don't want to hear. And today's series of messages are really direct talk from Jesus. But Jesus, when he's corrective or confrontational, it's always for our own good. You know, some people are just confrontational because they enjoy it. 
Sometimes people are confrontational because it's a power play. Okay? But Jesus, when he says the hard thing, it's because he wants to take us to a better thing. Now, the first thing we come up to is a rather unpleasant encounter with a Samaritan village, right? And um, the Samaritans and, and Jews did not get along. Matter of fact, they equally uh, had a taboo against the other. So Jews went out of their way not to go through Samaria. Jesus is breaking a taboo when he goes through Samaria. But when the Samaritan village finds out that he's on his way to Jerusalem, they say, no, you're not welcome here. Okay, you're not part of our group. Um, a number of years ago, oh, this has been many years ago, okay, I was, um, a friend and I, we went into an army surplus store. I think we were doing something with youth and we needed to buy stuff. And army surplus stores, they used to be, they were a lot of fun. And uh, this one was particularly a strange one. It had, uh, in the front of it, it had a big missile. I'm assuming the missile was no longer active. I hope so. And on the missile, he had painted to Russia with love. Okay. That meant something really different in 1984 than it means right now. But that's a whole other story, right? And so you walked into this place, and it was fascinating. I, I was having a good time. My friend was kind of nervous. And the guy says, here, I have something I want to show you. And he took us back to an inner room and had all these very um, pretty obnoxious, if not obscene, T-shirts. And the one I'll always remember, and of course you've probably seen this before, it said, kill them all and let God sort them. Now, that used to be something you hide in the back room. Now you can get it on Facebook or on the Internet, right? And it was particularly chilling given, you know, this was 1984, all right? Not that far from Vietnam, something, a lesson we should have learned. Um, and yet, though that is an extreme statement that we associate maybe with a fringe militia group or someone who's very prejudicial or closed-minded, there's, there's a lot of history of people kind of having that attitude. And what's even more disturbing is there's a lot of religious history that express the same sort of righteous indignation that James and John did. Okay? All right. I, I mean, you can almost picture it, okay? So, you know, Jesus, they love Jesus, and they really, they believe in it, and the message comes back, this town won't let us come into it. All right? And, uh, you know, Jesus said, all right, well, what should we do? James and John, let's nuke the village. You know, and, and they think... They think they're doing a good thing, right? How dare they offend our master? How dare they offend the prophet of God? You cannot come here because of where you're going, Jesus, and where you are from. You're not welcome here. Now, how are we supposed to respond to rejection? How are we supposed to respond to prejudice? Okay, the Samaritans were as prejudiced as James and John were. What are we to do when we're opposed? Well, to presuppose that you know exactly what God's up to <laughs> would be actually a variation of original sin. 
I was reminded we did an interview recently with Christine Sign, a wonderful new book. And she talks about how, as Christians, we need to cultivate communities where we can disagree and love and we can actually hear each other. She reminded me that in, in rabbinical times, if a group of rabbis are together and everyone agrees, then someone was assigned to take the minority position so that all sides could be seen. Now, I've spent a lot of time with rabbis, and trust me, it's never hard to find rabbis who disagree with each other, okay? But I love, there's a rigor, there's a rigor to their fighting because in part, arguing, because there's always room for the minority position in the rabbinical tradition. What Jesus is saying here, and it's unfortunate that his people throughout history did not hear what he said here. I don't need you to defend me. God does not need defending. Jesus is not really that concerned about people who dishonor him. Matter of fact, Jesus is not particularly concerned about his reputation. How do I know that? Because he invited all of us to be his followers, right? <laughs> right? If he was that concerned about his reputation, he'd be more selective. Nothing personal, I'm talking about myself too, right? Right? Can you stop, how would the history of what's been done wrong in the name of Christ be, be different if before some sort of pogrom or some sort of crusade or some sort of inquisition or ethnic cleansing or attacking unarmed helpless people, if someone would have heard the word Jesus said, no, you don't need to defend me. If you're about to do violence, it's not going to be in my name. I'm not going to cover your hate. I'm not going to stand behind your will to power. I'm not going to sanctify your fear that leads you to violence and hate. No, James and John, you don't get to destroy people who disagree with us. That's not why I'm here. Now, then Jesus gets into these kind of tough Jesus, right? He's not really scary. He, gets, he says some tough things. I might get this quote wrong, but Brian gave a wonderful eulogy yesterday for his dad. And one of the things he quoted was there was a point where, where Brian was doing something wrong, um, something all of us could imagine, right? <laughs> we love him, but Brian, Brian, could be, Brian could be a Lutheran. He sends boldly, right? When he does something, he does it boldly. And he was telling a story. I'm assuming he was either a teenager or a young man where his father said this to him, you can continue, you can choose to continue to test the limits of our unconditional love. What a brilliant way of saying it. He was saying you can either choose to be better or you can choose to continue to test the limits of our unconditional love. Isn't that a lot of what we do, really, as Christians? test the limits of God's unconditional love. And I think it's good to be reminded that if our ears are open, if our hearts are open to be convicted, that God will confront us just like 
Brian's dad confronted him. And these passages are kind of confrontational like that. Now, it kind of goes back and forth. There's an interesting rhythm here. Some of the people come to Jesus to say, I want to follow you. And some of the people he approaches. And I think that's an important rhythm because how he responds is nuanced around that. So the first person comes up and say, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, well, that, that sounds like the kind of person we want on our team, right? But Jesus says to him, well, there's only go, <laughs> right? There's no where because foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, to follow me, we're not going somewhere. We're being with someone. It's a very different thing, right? There's a lot of people out there that promote Christianity as become a Christian and all these good things will happen to you. It's just sermon after sermon out there. Okay? And it packs them in. I mean, it really people, you know, who, who wouldn't want that? Hey, come follow God and he'll do what you need him to do. Right? The only trouble is that Jesus never says that. Okay. All right. Jesus says, if you follow me, it's me. That's what you get. Now, I've once heard a wise person say, what can satisfy someone if God is not enough? So Jesus isn't being particularly hard here. He's just saying, if following me is not an end and of itself, then you're never going to be satisfied. If you're following me to get something, you're following the wrong Savior, the wrong God. There's a great, um, the late Rich Mullins uh, actually wrote um, a bunch of music, and it was it, he, he was killed in a car accident before it could be uh, published. But one of his songs was, He Did Not Have a Home. And it's based on this text, and it goes, Birds have nests, foxes have holes. But the hope of the whole wide world rests on the shoulders of a homeless man. The hope of the whole wide world rested on the shoulders of a homeless man. He did not have a home. Now, the next person comes up to him, and Jesus says, follow me. Okay, the, the first person initiated. The next person says, Jesus says, follow me. And he says, all right, I will once I bury my father. Now, it's really important. Uh, if, if someone dies in Judaism, it's a quick turnaround, right? Okay, you know, usually within 24 hours, you're supposed to bury them. All right, so the man isn't saying here, hey, I've got dad on ice right now, okay? <laughs> Just let me get through the funeral, and then we can do it. Now, that's not what's going on here. He says, all right, I need to stay at home, okay? And when my father's passed and I have gotten my inheritance, which is really what's going on there, and he's also fulfilling a familial duty. It's not, it's not all greed. It's saying, hey, this is what's expected to me. This is, as a member of this family, this is what I'm supposed to do. So when it becomes convenient for me, I will follow you. I'll follow you, Jesus, just not now. And of course, what Jesus says, you let the bed, dead bury the dead, my friend. Life is to be lived now. Following me is something you do now. Because you don't have tomorrow. 
really. How much of our lives are stolen by the future? How much of our hopes are consciously or unconsciously tied to something that we have no control over? Or something that we don't know how it's going to end? I've known people who, for instance, have, have worked their whole life for retirement. And this one really, it's so sad. This guy worked hard his whole life for retirement. He retires and literally the month after he retires, he got diagnosed with a terminal disease. You know, we, had, we just lost a wonderful, Nancy Tienan, who was just the most beautiful member of our church of Feasterville. She had a heart attack the day after her retirement party and found out she had, had um, pancreatic cancer. Now, Nancy, fortunately, it's bad for us that we've left, lost Nancy, but Nancy was someone who lived every day okay, and showed the love of God. But you get the point. We don't have tomorrow, right? We don't have the future. So we're going to follow Jesus. We need to follow him today. And now, it's finally, another, the last story is someone comes up to him. Um, Lord, I will follow you, but let me say farewell to everybody first. Okay? And of course, then Jesus says that famous statement, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Right, how many of you have ever done any plowing by hand? Or used a rototeller? Any of you ever do that? Okay. All right. See. All right. Well... We had a huge garden. My dad was a frustrated farmer, okay? And so usually, you know, I would help. I would have to help out a little bit. If I got in trouble, then I'd have to help out a lot, okay? All right. So we had this old hand plow, okay? So I was supposed to do the furrows for the potatoes. You know, for whatever, we, we raised too many potatoes. Anyway, so he left me. And we lived, you know, we were right beside the road. So I'm, I'm doing these things, and I'm, you know, looking at the traffic. And then one of my friends um, came by, and I was talking to him. And then I kept turning around, not paying attention. When my dad came out, I won't say exactly what he said, but um, I had created these perfect squiggly rows, which I said, he said, what did you do? I said, well, maybe we can plant more. If they're crooked, maybe there's more space that's taken up. So I spent the rest of the day having to correct what I did wrong. All right. So what happens if you're plowing, you know, of course now, you know, but when you were plowing by hand, you're supposed to have a, a, a visual, right? You're supposed to keep your eye on one spot. Okay. Uh, not the girl driving the bicycle by you. You're supposed to keep the eye straight ahead and you get distracted. What happens when you get distracted? Well, what I did gets distracted. Now, There are some things that are worth giving our entire allegiance to. Matter of fact, there are very, very, very few things that are worth giving our entire allegiance to. Matter of fact, there may only be one thing that's worth giving our all to. And that is saying yes to God. The great thing about saying yes to God, if we do that, then it orders our other loves. If our primary love gets right, if we get our love for God right and receive the gift of his love for us, 
then it makes us better you know, spouses and friends and co-workers and parents and church members. In other words, all our loves are lined up if we get the central love right. But if we don't, then not only does that get skewed, but all the other loves and lines of our life get twisted. What Jesus is trying to say here is he said in another way in a parable uh, in Matthew 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking for fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went out and sold everything he had and bought it. If you remember King James, it's the pearl of great price. There's only one pearl of great price. Okay. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, all other things will be properly ordered. That doesn't mean all things are going to work out for you. No. Sometimes following Jesus makes life more complicated. But it always makes it good. Sometimes loving Jesus first complicates our loves. But it helps us love the best way we are to love. Following Jesus first also makes sure that our religion, whatever we're practicing, is aligned with God, not our own agendas. Why is Jesus tough? (laughs) Well, those of your parents, it's probably for the same reason that you are tough. I've told this story before, but I had a relationship with a lot of uh, kids. My oldest son's senior year, a lot of those kids came through the youth group. I probably knew almost everyone in his graduating class. There have been a lot of tragedies in that class, so I was involved. And uh, I had great relationships with those kids. And uh, not too long ago, my oldest son and I were talking and saying, you know, I sometimes envy those kids. Because they just got your, your love and your, you were always just friendly with them and, and you were always so, you know, easy on them. And man, being your son was tough. I said, yeah, because I loved you more. Why does Jesus say these things? Well, he loves us more. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let us stand together and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.